0: And non-benders alike, welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. Again, I sounded like I was warning people. I don't know where that has come from, but suddenly now I'm like, you better be ready for the Avatarverse podcast. I'm Janet Varney.
1: And I'm Dante Bosco, and they better be ready because we have some special guests in the house today, Barney.
0: But before we get too deep into this episode, I am butting in here on my own. Dante and I are separately traveling to New York Comic Con, but we wanted to quickly get this piece of information in as a break Bite for this episode because it comes right off the heels of the Waterbending Scroll. So here we go a new break Bite. And in this case, it was generated by you, specifically at Geek Potatoes on Twitter. Who said, hey, Avatar people, can someone explain why this monkey in season one, episode nine got so much attention and then disappeared? I feel like this is something y'all can answer on your podcast. I appreciate the use of y'all geek potatoes. And I want to let you know, I took that very seriously. I went ahead and went straight to the top. And this is what I came up with to break. Hi, dads. I'm wondering if I could ask about the little monkey figurine in the waterbending scroll that mesmerizes Katara is presumably purchased by Iroh and shows up from time to time in the series. Yours ever truly. And this is what I heard back from Brian. Hi, Janet. Maybe Mike has more info since I don't think I was in the writer's room when they came up with this. I just recall working on the design with Aldina Diaz, our prop designer. I think it was mostly her drawing and I might have done a few tweaks to it. I don't think it was any big Easter egg or reference, just a bit of random silliness. But again, Mike might know more. And this is what Mike had to say. I know nothing. I'm thinking it was probably a moment of John O'Brien random humor since it was his episode. But sorry, no great backstory to it, which probably doesn't help. And you know what I said, friends? I said it does help because it's an answer. It's an official, bright answer. And that's what we're aiming to do here even if it's something small and it doesn't turn out that there's a huge backstory to it, we're aiming to solve some of those tiny mysteries. In fact, I would say the tiny mysteries may be my favorites. Now let's get back to our music episode. Let me say this. We love the fans. We love the fans. We love our peers. We love the fans who are peers. Half of the fans in the Avatarverse seem to be amazing artists in their own right. And the reason I'm saying this is they love the details. They love paying attention to all of the things all of the components that make this world so amazing and I just I mean I feel like we had released one episode and already people were writing us and saying um are you gonna have Jeremy on and we're like whoa 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 hey 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 we released one episode yes we are we got a whole plan but that's saying a lot about not just the fans but of course the phenomenal music composition of this show. So, we are so excited to welcome, of course, our friend, the composer extraordinaire Jeremy Zuckerman. We are also very, very excited to have an Avatar The Last Airbender fan, but also someone worth freaking out about because he has created the beloved podcast Song Exploder, which, of course, is now also a television series on Netflix. His band, The 1am Radio, is fantastic. Please, please welcome. Rishi Hirwe.
2: Most notably, I think, for your listeners especially, and my heart, there was a there was a Song Exploder episode with Jeremy about the music from Cora. Yeah, from oh, wow. the last episode of Cora.
0: Yeah, I listened to that uh, over the weekend on when I was on a walk, and I was walking through a neighborhood with tears streaming, streaming down my face, feeling like I was alarming many people, but. <laughs>
2: It's kind of amazing that just hearing Jeremy talk about that scene (laughs) and hearing the music without the context of the episode, I mean, I think that was the experience for a lot of people that, that even divorced from the actual visuals and the plot... In that moment, hearing all of that, the the, yeah. the power of Jeremy's music. That, I mean, um,
0: I want to be clear. I was not crying at what Jeremy was saying. I was crying <laughs> listening to the music, which I hasten to add was a part of the Song Exploder podcast episode. And I reached out to you, Rishi, super quick because when I talked to Jeremy about doing the episode, I said, "What if we had Rishi join us to talk about the music of Avatar?" Absolutely.
2: You both Bring are him in. very sweet. Not you, Dante. Well, <laughs> I thank you for nothing.
1: <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm actually so excited. This is the thing, like, going through the show with Varney now, it's like, not that I'm going to be an excerpt by the end of this, but we're just not some cute voices in the show. We also know some <laughs> little tidbits about themes and artistry and the music now. I think it's fascinating.
2: Well, I was just wondering, Jeremy, do you feel like it is part of your job as a composer to be deeply immersed in, in the world and understand... All of the world building, all of the mythology, all of the backstories of all the characters, um, in order oh, to do what question. you do. Damn it! Wow, that is Damn, that is a profound question. <laughs> um, I'm, short
3: answer: I'm inclined to say no, because a lot of that stuff reveals itself over the course of the project, right? And there's things that I don't know and I don't understand about the characters. Um, but the beauty is, as I learn more and I understand more as I experience the show. Their themes deepen, and they change, and there's more variations. You know, like Zuko, for instance, is a good example. You know, he starts the show with a sort of very surface-level kind of bad guy theme. And by the end, he has all you know these really sort of intimate, more emotional themes and themes that speak to the subtext and themes that speak to his development as a character and as a person and themes that sort of call back, you know, but comments on who he was and who he is now, and that kind of thing. Um, so, the beautiful thing about you know composing for TV versus film, even, is that you experience, you have this relationship with the music that lasts sometimes for many years, and it changes just like as if you know a person for many years, right? And you you sort of experience things together and you grow together. And that's what happens with these themes. And uh, it's, it's just a really sort of singular experience that you don't really get from working in any other medium.
0: Jeremy, of course, you are here representing the music portion of the sort of sound landscape of Avatar. But of course, Benjamin Wynn, who designed sound for the Last Airbender, and Legend of Korra. You know, lots of stories about the two of you working side by side and and ve- being very much that collaborative effort and the places yeah. where all of those things overlap. Do you prefer that kind of collaboration?
3: Yeah, um, definitely. I, I mean, I've ha- I've had like a sort of strange relationship with collaboration because there's times when I'm, like, I need to establish a balance with collaboration. Like, if I'm collaborating too much, I start to feel sort of like, I want to be alone and like focus on my own ideas and sort of go off in my own selfish directions you know what i mean um and not really have to like justify or validate or explain an idea before it's ready that kind of thing Um, Mm. because when i'm collaborating i tend to be very conscious of the other person's sort of perception of what i'm doing Um, so there might be an idea that i want to explore that i'm not sure will be successful and it might take a lot of time before it actually becomes anything but, and I won't pursue it because I, I'm like, they're going to see this and be like, this is not good. This guy is not very good at what he does. <laughs> and it's I like totally a whole thing.
1: I get um, yeah. we We've all been those people on the sets. Like, I'm going to, am I not, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I'm going to improv right. a few <laughs> things here.
3: It might lead somewhere. It might. Let's just go down yeah. this rabbit hole, you let's know. Go and down,
1: yeah.
3: It's a little scary doing yeah. that with people watching, you know. Totally. So, oh,
1: absolutely.
3: But I feel the like i
1: fired the first few days of anything totally. I shoot. I'm like, they're going to fire me like, by noon, gonna, t- by lunchtime, I'm out of here. I think
3: totally. Well, yeah, that whole imposter syndrome like really flares up when someone else is in the room. You know, I've actually brought in an intern, just having an intern behind me, who's like a fan of the show and like you know he wanted to work with, for me because he he grew up watching Avatar and everything. I'm like, oh man, he's gonna see right through me. You know what I mean? And, and I feel very inhibited because I've gotten very I used love to working. That you're
0: sharing that. It's so relatable, though. It's like now that there's someone here it's completely changed my relationship to the thing that I'm yep. trying to create. I'm not trying to be performative right now, but suddenly by virtue of this other person,
1: I'm performing, which Absolutely. totally can take you out. This is literally yep. why I'm doing this podcast yep. because fans ask me questions about the show that I did do. I did. That is my voice. And then there would right. be a blank look on my face. Like I have no clue <laughs> what you. you're talking I, about. It's like, you're part of this great, great thing. Uh, uh, amazing, like timeless, right. amazing, perfect project. And I'm like, what, what did I do? What happened?
3: Yeah. What, how did I we, mean it's, what did we do? It's the synergy of all of us. You know, I mean, it was this amazing right, thing. And it us. happened in yeah. an amazing time. and
0: Right. But it can also bring that like intimidating imposter feeling that you were talking about. Right.
3: Yeah. But the other side is I've also done stuff where, you know, I've had people sort of fill in the gaps and recognize when something's valuable before I do and, yeah. you know, mm. keep me in good spirits and, there's a feedback loop so I'm never sort of feeling like I'm searching in the dark and that kind of thing um, so yeah it's got to be a balanced thing for me you know but for Ben and I we we started um, way back before we were, we were we weren't even hired by Nickelodeon yet um, and we were working on like pencil tests and other things and Brian was in the another room like creating the characters and showing us stuff um, and it was so beautiful and we'd be working and it was very like collaborative in the beginning, and then once we got the gig, like the idea was we were going to do sound design and music as one thing. Yeah, we had this idea that sound design and music don't need to be separate; like it could be thought of as the same thing, and the music would be very abstract, and the sound design would be more abstract. But as the show, was, like very quickly, we realized like that wasn't w- appropriate for this show. You know, it was like a cool idea; everyone loved the idea, but it wasn't working for what we were doing. So after the pilot. Um, I took over the the duties of music and Ben took over the duties of sound design. And we actually thought at some point we might switch. Like we thought, okay, maybe after oh, like wow. the first season we'll switch. Hmm. And then by yeah. by then we were like so down those roads. We we're like, no way. You know, we tried switching one day and we we're like, how do you do that? <laughs> I was trying to do sound design. <laughs> I was like, where, how, what is going on? And Ben was trying to do music and we were just like, no, dude. like Stay in your lane. It. Stay in your lane. Yes, yeah, stay, stay in our lane. Let's go. Cool. Yeah,
0: But that's so funny because, I mean, that's another thing. And I would refer, again, there's some great uh, history out there already in the podcast world. Not that I'm discouraging anyone from completing listening to this episode. But my point being, as auxiliary kind of material, uh, our dear, dear friend Hector Navarro did a wonderful interview with you and Brian Kanetsko many years ago. But you really delve into that process. And I've heard you say, I think, elsewhere that, you know, you did kind of have, you benefited from that, I don't know what I'm doing blind cockiness of like Mm -hmm. you know you didn't know what you were getting yourself into yeah like how many how new
1: were you at at uh just doing the film side of music when you started doing i had done
3: i had done a couple years of doing commercials which is pretty different you know because like a long commercial is 60 seconds maybe 90 like that's an epic you know right yeah um so going from that like what I gained doing commercials was sort of a range, like an ability to have a range creatively, technically. But as far as developing ideas over a long period of time, like that was a new thing for me. And it was very hard in the beginning. It was really stressful. Like it took me way too long, you know. And it's amazing that that Brian and Mike fought for us and like kept us on the gig because there were – I'm sure there are other people that were way more skilled and – I, no doubt like people who had experience. Um, but I think that that was part of the appeal too. you know, I remember Brian specifically saying he didn't want a seasoned um, TV composer. He wanted some someone coming in that was sort of like figuring it out as they were going along and approaching it from a totally different place. Um, and you can hear that in the earlier season. I think, I think it, you know, I think in some ways it becomes more traditional like as the show progresses in some ways.
0: Yeah. Well, right now we're we're barely halfway through the first book. So what you're referring to is very much like what we're kind of steeped in right now. You know, um, yeah. Rishi, yeah. I, I, uh, I wanted to ask you because you've you've composed for film as well. What is that first experience like when someone approaches you and you know that they're potentially putting this very personal work because how could it not be in your hands? You know, Brian and Mike said, like, we want it to sound ancient but fictional. Rishi, when you are working on something, does someone come at you and say, like, okay, no- number one thing you should know, I love the xylophone. Now, the <laughs> movie is da da da, like, how much do you want to get from someone at the beginning versus how much are you bringing to it? You know what I mean?
2: Well, I haven't done a lot of composing, and I think it's for uh, the reason what Jeremy mentioned about um, the experience that he gained in doing commercials of being able to sort of approach many different kinds of scenes, many different kinds of problems. With a, he, ha- he has a really great sort of Swiss Army knife. Um, uh, I don't have that. I kind of had been in a band for a really long time and spent so long trying to develop a kind of like a pretty narrow aesthetic that um that usually the only times when I do stuff is when someone's like I know the music that you make ah, and I okay. know that you also can do you know scoring. Couldn't we apply that to this? I have this project um, that feels like it would match up with that and then I feel comfortable. If they someone,
0: want the Rishi treatment if they're coming to you it's because they want specifically what they know that you're brilliant at.
2: I mean only in the cases that's worked out there have been times when it hasn't been like <laughs> that where they're like hey we need a composer will you do it and I would just say yeah yeah yeah." and then they would say okay it needs to sound like this and I was like I don't know how to do that <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and then it has, hasn't worked out but the beautiful uh, thing about that is you get to
3: make the music that you want to make for money great point. you know which yeah, is actually wow. pretty rare um, I think you know a lot of times when you have a lot of range there might be like the music you would make in your own time and then the music you get paid for. And sometimes they're like on opposite ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Right. I've definitely been there, you know, and it doesn't mean it's been like a miserable experience or something. It's actually really interesting to make music like that. You would never make, but there's times where I'm like, man, can I just make some music that like I would actually make if I, you know, were in my house. Like, and some of avatar music is like that. And some of it is on the other side of the spectrum, where it's like, I'm making this because it's right for the project, but it, it wouldn't be something I would do, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think there's, there's, I don't know if I want to say pros and cons, but it is, I've always thought it, it's, it's like a really wonderful thing for a composer to get hired to do the music that they do in their own time. And I think that's mm. really special, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now,
1: as as young artists, young kids, were you got Did you guys ever listen to like, like we like John Williams or like Danny Elfman? Like, were you listening to any oh, Trent Reznor? Oh, he's doing some crazy stuff for these films and television things. Did that Damn. ever occur to you? I mean, for like the fans listening, that are like, how do you get into composing? How does that even start in your mind as a young, you know, person?
2: Uh, for, I mean, for me, Danny Elfman was was the guy. Yeah, the theme for the first Batman movie, um, with Michael Keaton, you know, which is going back a ways. But Classic. I just, I was like, this is amazing. This music sounds like what Batman should be. Mm, um, yeah. and then, you know, and then his music, his score to Edward Scissorhands is a huge, huge influence Ugh. on me. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, that that's kind of, score. yeah. Speaking of lo- loving xylophones, all of that kind of like mm-hmm. delicate, icy kind of music, um, i i really wanted to make that even i think before i was thinking about scoring just in terms of the aesthetics of the music that i wanted to make i was like i wanted to feel something like this yeah uh, and then eventually f- you know it was I'd danny listen. elfman
1: or did you think danny was like oingo boingo you're like mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no no <laughs> i don't i
2: did not i didn't realize i didn't put together that danny elfman was part of oingo boingo until like a few years ago (laughs) and then Trent Reznor and like
0: Mark Mothersbaugh like there's so much
1: and Trent Reznor you're like that's nine inch nails yeah there's such a
0: there's such a legacy of people leaving like post-punk bands and becoming these super versatile composers for me it was Never Cry Wolf which is this Disney movie but it's this beautiful movie that's shot in the Arctic and that's i'm a kid from tucson and i would listen to the soundtrack i found a cd copy of the soundtrack by mark isham and i would listen to it because it was cold and i was hot Mm. and i to this day Mm. when i listen to really great composed film soundtracks that take place in the cold there's a continuity to it you hear a lot of like Sort of high, open penny whistle sort of sounds and this sort of swell of strings, but it's you get the like you said the xylophone, the tinkling like there's you you realize like, oh, there's a language to coldness, yeah you know, being depicted in like isolation and snow that genuinely has like a visceral effect on me. It cools me off, and it was That's such amazing. a profound thing to find out as a little kid to be like, oh. The soundtrack, independent of the movie, does this thing to me. Which shows the power of the soundtrack. And I think you said something that I think, you know... A lot of of great and humble composers say, which is like, if you're paying attention to the soundtrack, like something's not working. But like, come on, people are paying attention to the soundtrack because it's gorgeous. You know, Mm. they're not doesn't mean it's ruining the scene just because underneath you have this deep appreciation of that. You're aware that this that this you're being lifted and, and touched by the music as much as anything else that's happening. Right, guys?
3: Yeah, Exactly. Right. It's like, if it's gone, you're really gonna feel it. And there are times where it's supposed to just be there and you don't really notice it, but there are times where it should be a little bit more in the focus. And there's sort of that dance with the score where it sort of comes into the focus and then it goes back and sort of, you know, doing very functional things. And I think that dance is such an important part of it. And there's a lot of people, you know, responsible for that dance as well as the direction, the mixer, the mixer is a very Mm -hmm. important person when it comes to that and a good mixer really well i was talking to a friend of mine who's an excellent mixer and he was talking about how he's now like really doesn't think about technical things so much anymore when he mixes he really thinks about what's going on in the story Mm -hmm. and the narrative and i think it's like you know it's kind of all all the same thing in the acting the the composition the mixing you know i mean everyone is sort of doing the same thing with a different medium it's really interesting and
1: i do the mixer, the mixer. It's the collaboration. It's like when I start. I didn't really get it till I started producing, and I was shooting starting a starring film with this actress, and it was her first film, right? And we we're shooting in Hawaii, and it's her first film, and she's acting. And I was like, listen, like, I don't want to tell you not to act, but I'm gonna just explain to you, like, we don't have to act like we're in Hawaii because we're in Hawaii. And now look right. at the room. Look what look what the production <laughs> designer did. Like this room is dingy, it's you messed. Don't up, have to all push so dishes. hard. Yeah. Yeah. You like look at look what the look what the lighting guy's doing. You see how it's all orange and auburn cutting through, and it's just honest. And now look what the camera's moving slowly across the screen. Now imagine what the music guy is gonna be, the composer's gonna put. Nice. So you actually don't have to right. do anything. Oh, all you gotta do totally is like look at like a me. Producer, that's great. And then yeah. they're gonna help us all with our performance, and we're, our performance is gonna help all their, It's like all these artists. That's the magic thing about movie yeah. making and television for it to work. Like, thirty artists have to like. Somehow hit the right chord at the right time at yeah. uh, the right same
3: point. It, yeah and leave, right. point. and leave room for each yeah. other and leave room for each uh, other.
1: Did she get it? Did
0: that resonate? for like, did she respond? <laughs> yeah, to Yeah, I did, would. I love like, to. That's I'm a like, great thing to. You kind don't of have to eat the
1: scenery either. up. You just have to be present in this moment. There's times yeah. later for you to eat the scenery, like this moment. Like, let the composers do their work as this really slow movement. The camera was gonna creep yeah. into us. Like, just imagine what they're gonna do. They're gonna do it. I believe it. Yeah, you know? totally. <laughs> I feel like I've seen so many
0: shows that... I mean, there was a show I genuinely really liked, and I'm not going to name it, but I couldn't watch it because the mix was so... There was a constant, constant music bed, and... It was, And it's turned way up. And Mm -hmm. you get the feeling that somebody there at the network, someone somewhere, is like, this isn't exciting enough unless it's constant music underneath. Mm -hmm. And to me, I always say, I don't want to ride the amusement park ride version of this thing. I want to see it and experience it. And that's how you feel. You feel like you're like, oh, this is the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland because it's meant to bombard you and it's sort of part of it. But like yeah. when it is when it is cranking the whole time it's too loud, it is like it's it the feels worst. desperate. Like Dante's saying, it feels like the music is chewing the scene. Like, ha, 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 ha isn't this great? Everyone feel a certain way. Ha, ha, ha. You yeah. Know?
3: And you yeah. just imagine like, like someone being like the producer or director or someone being very out of touch with their audience. You know, it's like it's like you don't have faith in the audience. You're sort of yeah. you have to tell them every moment to tell them what's going on. And it's like, no, people are much smarter than that. Like, you don't have to do that. You know, I can't I really am not a fan of the, the, the bed of music. Do you yeah. have
0: that too, Rishi, where you're like, I, you see you have that moment where you're like, there shouldn't be music here. Or conversely, do you guys both have the there should be music here moments when you're watching media?
2: I almost never feel like there should be music. And Same. one of the funny things about my job sometimes as a composer, I think it is often to talk the director, or the producers out of certain moments where they want me to do stuff i'm like i actually think you probably don't need music here it's a strange thing but i do think that that is part of that's part of the skill that you develop as a as a composer is knowing when those moments are necessary and when they're the most effective and sometimes you just have to say like actually this will play better without it because then in the next scene when this happens it'll be subtle it won't be subtle if it's already there before you know exactly
3: very, very true.
0: There's nothing like the telling someone you don't let me do my job. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. you be doing my job in this moment.
3: That kind of became a running joke with Cora in the spotting sessions, because I was constantly pushing to have silence, silent scenes. Yeah, and they and were like just like, Janet's "Are you lazy?
0: It's just a musical instrument <laughs> on its own. I'm sure that's what was being said."
3: Right, right. No, and it was all <laughs> you know. That. Uh, the nice thing is, like, I have such a close friendship with Mike and Brian that we could have this kind of heated collaborative debate and it was cool and like no one was going to get fired and and I think that's what you know also helped make things better but there were a lot of well I don't know a lot there were a handful of moments where you know people were felt very strongly one way or another and we would debate things you know Um, (laughs) but a lot of it was you know there shouldn't be music here or bring it in you know much later because like, I always say, like, why is there music in this scene? If you can't answer that immediately, there probably shouldn't be music in the scene. Whoa.
1: Good. Mm. Yeah. That's that makes good. sense. Yeah. yeah. But as a director, sometimes you're with great guys. Yeah. You're like, I have great music because I, I have a Ferrari. I'm going to drive that car. Right.
3: Like, I <laughs> have a Ferrari. We're gonna
2: totally yeah, oh, yeah. Jeremy's
0: going like,
1: to write music.
3: He's right.
2: right. He's only <laughs> really got a Ferrari. <laughs> oh, I had a question for, for Jeremy. I was wondering, in the first book, was there a moment or an episode early on where um, that feeling of, you know, kind of being daunted at the, about the task that you were taking on, like, really felt most acutely? Like, was there an early episode or a cue yeah. where you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to write this very long thing. How do I do this?
3: Yes. I think the first, okay, well, there's two things. One, actually, one the first thing I thought of isn't very long. Um, and it was the, the last scene at the end of the second episode which would have been the first episode because they were shown back to back when they're flying away and the little kalimba thing. Yeah. And that cue I was very stuck on because there's like a little twist that happens when he's like let's go here to this place and this place and he shows the map and, and when Aang's right. showing the map and, and I just didn't know for some reason I didn't know how to make that shift. You know the mood shift like i was really feeling the kalimba thing and i wanted it to ride out and like and those kinds of like shifts were were sort of new for me
2: well the shift from what to what what was the what um the kalimba
3: to? like nighttime sky it's vibey mm-hmm. and it's quiet and they're floating away and then suddenly he gets excited and, and ang is showing them like all these places he wants to go on a map all these things he, these sort of fun activities they can do and it's like a very sudden shift and so that was like difficult for me to to sort of navigate at the time even though it's a very simple thing you just change <laughs> you know what I mean but like <laughs> I just couldn't like wrap my head around like suddenly changing without a transition or something um so that was that took way too long to figure out and then the other thing was I think the first like really long action scene I hated doing action scenes at the time like I just huh. I they were so draining for me you know what I mean like and I felt like I was like, they were awful. Like I felt like I sucked at doing them. So I was like, oh no, I have to do an action scene.
1: What did you pull from? Were you like percussion strings? Like what like, what did you, when you saw action, like what was your ghost yeah, well, feeling?
3: I guess that's probably part of it. Like I was figuring out the, the palette, but yeah, it was like, you know, percussion, um, strings, brass. But a lot of this stuff I was really like learning. Like I was studying orchestration books and scores like frantically because I had, like I had been to music school and I had like, even went to grads like graduated from graduate school but and i didn't study arts and yeah berkeley right, right. yeah yeah right It's like study... i went to
1: college i know this <laughs> stuff
3: <laughs> i mean we wanted to tell the best story possible you know all of awesome. us and brian's references were insanely ambitious you know like things with duduk like all these different non-western instruments and he play me things warsaw village band and these other things and i mean i've told stories about this like how i had to go buy a duduk and and learn it and play it for an episode in two weeks you know um (laughs) right and i would never do i was actually just talking to brian yesterday about that like i would never i don't know if i would do that now i don't think i would think it's possible like i'm just old and tired you just (laughs) didn't
0: know better you didn't know better so yeah we
3: were like young yeah we believed anything was possible and like we just made it work (gasps) you you should
0: have a podcast called song exploiter (laughs) <laughs> and it will be about how you got get exploited sued? to learn a any <laughs> new Anyway, as far as action scenes being hard, I would just add that I, as an actor, I always dreaded going in for ADR because it's really hard to scream and punch and make sounds and you're worried that you don't sound right. And then you hear the animators. I feel like the South Korean animators were like, oh, the action sequences, they're so taxing and hard. So it's interesting that you would have that experience yeah. because I do feel like collaboratively, you're picking up on the same thing that everyone is which is like oh, those are uh,
3: they're brutal
0: tough. those are tough you know they're, they're exhausting so you know and yeah they're so
3: important and that's supposed to be like a real cl- you know crowd pleasing moment and so we all have to get it right and then, of course all the martial arts was real right it was all real martial arts that they were doing so that yeah. there was tons of detail there Yeah, and you can't like be the one who's not putting in the work when everyone else is.
0: You were talking about the sort of concern about Zuko's themes and like, but like not wanting to lean too hard into the sort of cliched expectation of what good guy or bad person music and, you know, good person music and bad character music were like, and also the sort of use of certain instruments for things like suspense and action. Are you plagued by the, boy, I better reinvent this. Do you go into those corners temporarily where you're like, uh, it's not worth doing if I'm not, you know, creating this totally new thing?
3: Yeah. um, (laughs) I'm going to say yes and no. Absolutely. A lot of times, and I know that's the ego speaking when that's happening, right? Because like we want to be recognized and we want to stand out in the crowd and all that stuff. But also, if you really remind yourself that you're doing you have to do what's right for the scene in the project, then hopefully that will take you out of that headspace, right? Which is why, in some ways, functional music like that is easy, easier on the brain in some ways mm. than writing your own music, which is like what Rishi was talking about—sort of the horror of trying to create your own work. That's terrifying, right? And like you're not—it's not you know you don't have a bunch of people or a project to to sort of hide behind. But you're the person front and center. And that's definitely when those thoughts really plague me more so than when I'm scoring, you know, but definitely absolutely when I'm scoring, those thoughts are still there. And I even down to like choosing the instrumentation in the very beginning stages and writing a theme. And I'm like, oh man, I've I've written this theme before, you know what I mean? And um, especially with like film music, there's only so many kind of themes and progressions you can write before it's just too strange. Right, and it's, it's not relatable, and it's not <laughs> yeah. in the like what you're talking about. It's not in the language um, that yeah. we sort of collectively have have come up with over the course of how many you know, you know how many years we've been telling stories, right? T- centuries, generations. Yeah. So there's there's like a language there, and if you go too outside of it, like it doesn't work anymore. If you try to be too yeah. original, too interesting, so it's a very like tricky thing to navigate, actually. It really is.
2: Yeah.
0: I think it's so great to hear you guys talking about this and being transparent about it, not just here but on other appearances that you've done because, you know... Reminder, like, if I'm at a signing, I can't tell you how many CD covers of the soundtrack I have signed. That mm-hmm. is the thing that people bring That's in. Nice. It's just nice to hear that we are all still, artists are, whatever level they're on, you know, that they can be plagued with those insecurities because it reminds us all to push forward in whatever our our, our passion is, um, knowing that those voices are going to be there. It's inevitable, but part of the journey is... Acknowledging them and figuring out what your method is to kind of push past them, right, Rishi?
2: Yeah, yeah. The last score that I did was for a video game that takes place in Alaska. It's like a dog sledding game. You're you're oh. a, a young woman who's trying to uh, survive. She she the story is she basically joins the Iditarod she has an ident- has like a little bit of an existential crisis moves to alaska to try and raise the iditarod but she's incredibly unprepared i feel
0: like i would love this game i should play it on a hot summer day
2: <laughs> it's very it's a really like soothing game but um but it takes place in alaska and it is you know it's very sparse and um and i had to think about these things that you were talking about like the sound of coldness you know, how do i make it feel cold. And as you were saying, there, there are certain sounds that evoke coldness. And, um, as much as I would want to be like, well, let me do something brand new that nobody's ever heard before. It's also like the language of that emotion. There are certain sonic textures that you have to bring in. And, and if you try and be too original about it, you'll miss the mark.
1: As composers, is like what you do, right? So if in your own lives, your own love lives, you're going to kiss your partner you're holding hands in the park you're watching a sunset you know we're all we've all done this are there music and themes coming into your l- mind for your own life because I mean wow. as a filmmaker I'll step out and I'm like this is a real cinematic moment I can almost see how I would shoot my own love scene as I'm walking through the park with my girl right D- at any moment you like at the beach seeing a beautiful sunset and you're like just start hearing music that's not there but just in your mind wow or am I just tri- I think it's a fair I question.
3: That's a cool question. I think I hear music throughout the day, but I'm not super like hyper aware of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I mean, I definitely like sort of interpret the world in a musical way, like and I, I think I used to be much more aware of it like after grad school, right? Because it's grad school and you're like thinking about metaphors all day long and stuff, sonic metaphors for like whatever experience I'm having or a visual thing or something like that, right? But at this point, I don't notice it so much anymore and I'm wondering if I stopped doing that. Or if it's just, like, integrated into my, like...
0: Super
1: integrated, yeah.
3: Yeah, into my experience. I hope I didn't stop doing that.
0: Cut to Dante Bosco creates existential crisis for composer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I hear all
1: kind of monochords.
0: I hear monochords Thanks so much,
3: Dante. Oh, man, I got to call my therapist.
0: <laughs> Jeremy, I didn't want to let this episode go by without uh, acknowledging that the podcast themes are thanks to you. We got our own little mini soundtrack of just kind of like getting to even get I mean that was so exciting to be like <sighs> anyway um okay well we want to be exciting Aww. and we want to be a little thrilling uh but not too you know want to be too grim because like we're gonna laugh a lot and you did you you came back mm-hmm. with uh some wonderful ideas and you let us sort of choose and great. then you once we settled on one you were like okay great but let me just work with a little bit because I, I I'm ashamed of how some of the sounds and we were like okay and then you came back with a new version i was like i want to be able to say i can tell all the things that are different but it sounded amazing sounds exactly the, the same pass. it already sounded amazing i don't I know love if your I honesty that's up, awesome. amazing anymore but i want you to be happy with it Aww. and it sounds amazing
3: well, that's very sweet of you to say and that's hilarious yeah i think welcome to my brain i think i spent i think i sort of spent a lot of unnecessary energy <laughs> getting that extra you know 3 to 4% that, like, no one really notices. Um, I don't know. I think it's part of the process.
2: So the stuff that you sent over, Jeremy, the, mm-hmm. the like, original kind of um, sampler, what what was it that you sent? Was it stuff from the show, or was it, like, cues that had been left over, or did you make new stuff? It, what, what it did... was sort of a combination of the two. Like, it was
3: the main theme, but, like, a, bri- a bridge, and then I recorded some live brass for it. Live brass. And I... Mean you just whipped
1: window. out a trumpet or something? You tri- no, no, I have, oh, a, you know, you... I know people. Got oh, you know people.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's a very simple thing. And I mean, it sounds, you know, it's like from that very much from the Avatar world. And it, it's sort of a combination of things from Avatar um, reworked. But it, like it very much, you know, it's the theme. It's the main theme. It's not it's not the same thing as the beginning intro.
2: Right. That's why I was, that's what ma- always made me so curious because I'm like, this is the music, but this is not the music.
3: Right, right, exactly. Which is cool, right? Because it's like familiar, you know that's it instantly, great. but it's new, which is kind that's of the great. whole, right? That, that yeah. was the goal, I think.
1: As directors and producers, you hire artists in every department that think like that, do that, even point, though we point. don't know what they're doing. But right. we, re- we just rely the fact that they're that good and they're doing, they're crossing their T's and dotting their i's. I like what they're doing, but I think they're doing even more than what I know what I like.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about trust. Yeah. Yeah, it's trust. It's trust, trust, right? I mean, that's the best. Like I've I've done stuff where I can tell the person I'm working with doesn't really trust me and it's miserable. Mm. And I've done stuff where I'm trusted and it's amazing. You know? And the product is always magnitudes better when there's the How trust. How about
0: have you had a situation no names but um necessary? But have you had a situation where you have felt like you didn't have someone's trust, but you were able to turn that around and sort of realize like, oh, OK, like somehow we've crossed over into the we crossed the threshold. And now this person knows I know what I'm doing and like I'm doing it, you know.
3: No, uh, that's that's interesting. You know, well, I guess I could say the beginning, the very beginning of the process on Avatar just and I get it. Like we were who were we? You know, we were these young punks who didn't know anything. Brian and Mike fought for us they and they didn't tell us because they didn't want us to be stressed out about it. They told, we found out years later.
0: That's a right decision on all counts. Fight for someone, do not tell that person that you're fighting for them, or it will crumple their
1: heart. Now, in our Avatar verse and during this podcast, we always ask our guests a few different things uh, dealing with the Avatar verse. One of them being a favorite hybrid animal.
3: I think the one I'm thinking of first is the turtle ducks.
1: Turtle X are our I fan, fan favorite. favorite. My favorite say, yeah.
3: also. Maybe that's some low hanging fruit. Is no. that low hanging fruit? No, no, no.
1: It's it's important.
3: No, that's it's important. Like I would the uh,
0: Beatles. They're duck not animals. so great because a lot of people like them. Like it's okay right. that people love a yeah. thing that because it was a brilliant invention.
2: Yeah, and I'm yeah. gonna go lower. I, I'm gonna go even for even lower hanging fruit, which is the Sky Bison. Appa. Of course. Yes. Look at my baby. I mean, well, opera. that is the best. It's, on it's really yeah. 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 And then with and then with the baby Sky Bisons, come on. Yeah. In terms of the mix and the sound effects, um, Jeremy, and the voice acting, I was thinking about, I think for a long time I didn't realize that Dee Bradley Baker did the voice of Appa. And I yeah. kind of thought it was more like sound design stuff. Um, but I was watching episodes again this week in preparation for our conversation, and um, I was wondering... Like, do you know, is that a combination? Is that all his voice, or is that a mix of his voice with special effects? I know that Ben had done stuff with the
3: lion turtles, which maybe is my favorite.
0: Actually. Oh, turtle getting um, you get know, the moused. big, the big epic. Kept the turtle yeah. lost the duck, yeah. Yeah. I got gotcha. you,
3: right? Sorry, Doug. <laughs> I like them both for different reasons, but I know he had, he had done something with that. But that, but that was speech. Yeah.
0: I got to tell you Rishi just from Dante and my experience right D um I've been in ADR where that's where D does all of his sounds and I have heard him like when I watch Naga I do not hear any effects yeah. at all post production I hear exactly what I heard D do in the room it is Mind mm. blowing! It's yeah. mind blowing. He's amazing. What is he doing? All he does so that? much prep. He does so much prep. Yeah, I'm just my mind is blown. All right, what else you got, Bosco? Before we let these guys go,
1: what kind of bender would you guys be in this world? Do you have an affinity to any of these. Oh, things? I always
0: love the moment where I get to guess and wonder if I'm going to be right before the person says the answer.
2: Do you want to write them down so then you can prove you can prove oh. What
0: right? Oh, I've never done that before. This is, now this is wildly intimidating.
2: Um, okay, <laughs> Jeremy, you go.
3: You know, I mean, the obvious thing is airbender, right? Because music is moving air, pushing sound, yeah. right? right? Um, but really, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it'd be pretty cool to manipulate fire, Fire you know? Nation, Jeremy. Yeah, you, there you I go. You. I, was gotcha. I knew
1: that you and me I were there. I was wrong yeah, on both, yeah.
0: I assigned you neither of those. So I, I already am very What did you assign there. me? For some reason, I thought... She assigned you I earth assigned and you, water. I assigned you earth. I thought maybe you would kind of say... I thought you would get into the practicality of like the texture and the right. sort of like the solidness of it. it is the most kind of solid. You gave me, you know too, I mean?
3: much, you gave me too much credit <laughs> for, for depth of much <laughs> <that laughs> <fault>. Jeremy's about <laughs>
1: that yeah, heat, Jeremy's
0: about that heat, Yeah, that was a much deeper... Jeremy's
3: f- about yes. that heat. <laughs> no, you know, uh, I, in all fairness to you, I've changed my <laughs> mind about three times. Good. So <laughs> good. All right. I don't know. Listen, I'm not, I do not mind admitting that I
0: clearly have no idea what anyone's going to say at any given time, and that's okay.
2: All that being said, drum
0: roll, please. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, I think I would be an airbender.
0: Okay. I did say airbender for you. Then I got scared and thought maybe you would say water. And then that's why I said I wanted to give that person Mm -hmm. two. And I said, no, I'm backing off two. I'll only pick one, and it was air.
2: Be, yeah. Uh, air, yeah, air would be my first choice. I think water would be my backup. My, there
0: option. you go. That's the order I put it in. Yeah. So I have, have a fifty-fifty 50 record. That's not good. <laughs> That's not. Nobody's gonna get hired. <laughs> not nobody's bad. Nobody's gonna get hired when they're wrong half the time. What are you going to do?
3: This is why I did terribly on the SATs. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime there's multiple choice, I'm like, well. what see a good
0: mm-hmm. reason for all of them. That yeah. is me. I absolutely exactly. do Exactly. Like, well,
1: if you look at it from a certain mm-hmm. perspective. like <laughs>
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> and then I, there's one last question I want to ask you guys, because you guys are both aware you've been through, been through the whole show. So is there any ships, relationships that you guys ship?
2: I feel like all of my fan desires were actually yes. met by the Nothing show. Nothing wrong
1: with that. Katang, then um, you're a big Katang
2: person. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I will, by the way, I also sometimes say to my wife, I say, Julie, do the thing. <laughs> 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 when I'm like asking her for a favor. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Julie. Do the thing, Julie. Do the I thing. Love it. John Michael
0: Higgins, what a perfect man. Yeah.
2: Name. I mean, that, and that was the sh- ship where I was like, is yeah. that going to finally, that was the biggest question mark. I felt like Korsami was. That was, you know, that was in the cards, and I was excited for it to happen. The, <laughs> is that going to happen? Yeah. No, i was so happy it did.
1: Was it discussed? It was obviously alluded yeah. to a lot. Yeah. I, I didn't, I really didn't think that Nickelodeon or anyone's going to, like, they were going to go there.
2: Jeremy and I yeah. talked about this a lot, actually, for his episode, because it is that, you know, incredibly yeah. significant final scene from Korra. It's that music that, that Jeremy discusses and breaks down. Um, you dug it. Right. So, you dug, Chorus Tell me, Jeremy. I know from
0: yeah.
3: that episode. I, I, oh, I was so happy. I couldn't. I was freaking out. Um, yeah, Rishi, you did such a beautiful job on that episode of Song Exploder. I was, such just, your words and your music. So.
2: It's
0: wonderful. It's so special. <sighs> you, know,
2: you crafted something.
0: It's so so special.
2: I will admit, I think about Angst theme. I think about the. I think about that. All the time, too. It's probably mm. crept its way into music that I've written in an embarrassing way. Now that I'm <laughs> mentioning it, uh, people will be like, "People go back and listen." You'll be hearing from my <laughs> ears. <letters. laughs> <laughs> 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 no, that is so sweet.
1: Have, have you guys got to hear your music dump by hopeful
0: orchestra? That's the dream. That is a dream of mine. Yeah, I want to do. I want to do Sozin's Comet live orchestra. Hollywood yeah. Forever Ooh. Cemetery.
3: Oh. Ooh, I like Sitting that. The, can Let's make that happen. I
2: mean, we have Let's mean, to I bet a we can make that happen somehow.
0: Ads. I <laughs> bet we can make a few phone calls yeah. and do that.
1: <laughs>
0: it would be fun no, well, to do know? it,
2: especially to time it with some kind of astronomical event. Oh. Like an eclipse. Now you're or thinking you like are really, yes.
0: going oh. super big picture. I love it. Uh
1: when's the next so eclipse good. happening? Into this so <laughs> or comet or I'm something. Into this. I don't know.
3: Yeah, we did, um, for Malaga, there was um, a festival in Malaga in uh, 2014, and they invited us. So we um, we did two suites, one for Avatar and one for Cora that were live wow, orchestra and choir. Amazing. It was, and it was oh, in this beautiful, like, old sort of broken down castle by the, by the beach, like on the beach. And it, so it was all hollowed out. And it was wow. there was no roof, and there was just sort of this, the remains of the castle all around, and this, the stairs were still a functional, and it was oh. wild. It was so beautiful. That's
0: amazing. Wow, that's yeah. so amazing. Uh, Thanks I know. for inviting me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying it's already happened and we can't go okay that's really heartbreaking <laughs> yeah yeah well you know there
3: there might be something in the future there might okay, be Okay. well listen I yeah, I yeah i
0: we're all aboard and it's sounding like that we already have four major power players who are devoted to showing sozin's Comet live you've heard it here it's one of those podcasts where now it's that it's been said, Nick has to do it. So um, legally. I mean, I think they're yep, legally obliged because <laughs> we promised it. So They're legally bound. Yeah. Um, and uh, yep. I'm really glad that you managed to fit in. You'll be hearing from my lawyers because that feels like a way I would love to end every podcast episode. I'm sorry we haven't been able to do it that way <laughs> until this moment. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good catchphrase. Please tell like people uh, what else they should be aware of, what they should be, where they can hear certain new songs.
3: I am working on something for PBS. It's a beautiful documentary on the Rockies. Uh-oh.
0: Sounds like my cup of tea already.
3: Yeah. It's this it's beautifully shot. You know, I mean, there's something else I'm working on a project of Mike DiMartino's. <laughs> that's, uh, I have some, I am I'm
0: immediately wildly yep. speculating and I'm excited about my own wild speculation. I have a good feeling about it.
3: It's going to be good stuff in the future. Um, you know, Avatar Studios is up to some cool stuff. Yes. Um that's gonna be exciting and beautiful. I've I've seen a couple things. Not gonna say a word. Great. But it's uh inspired. Don't and get gorgeous. us in trouble, and, Jeremy. Don't get you know, our podcast
1: no. in trouble. Don't say one word, not <laughs> one I more could, word.
0: Okay, <laughs> can
3: I just say that the quality is even higher than you would expect? Fabulous. Wow. So it's gonna it's be very good stuff. Exciting. Mm. Am I am I overselling? <laughs>
0: No, never. <laughs>
2: I have a new song out. It's, it is actually the first thing that I've put out. That's a song of mine, you know, since before Song Exploder. It's called Between There and Here. It has Yo-Yo Ma on it playing cello. And it is, like so many things that I do, influenced by Jeremy's music. And I, I'm really excited for everybody to hear it. Plus, um, you can listen to the Song Exploder podcast, wherever you probably listen to this podcast. Um yeah, uh, my website's rishikesh.co. If you wanna find me or r- read about any of the other stuff I do, beautiful. I've heard the track; it's beautiful.
1: Between there, here.
2: Yeah, it's about my mom who uh who passed away last year, and mm-hmm. um and Yo-Yo Ma plays the part of my mom. Oh, in the it's song. so
0: wow. beautiful. I without even thinking That's about amazing. the fact that we were gonna be talking about soundtracks, I was like, I felt like I was inside like oscar winning film but it's a sm- it was short <laughs> and it was all audio uh congratulations on finding time with Thanks everything else we have going on
1: <laughs> <laughs> one last thing to let you guys know um total solar eclipse december 4th 2021
0: oh snap mm. i can't believe i just said total oh,
1: snap. solar eclipse oh, oh, that was, oh, visible in north okay. america december 4th 2021 let's just throw that out there in the that's quick you might Whoa. be able to
0: yeah,
2: That an feels idea. just that get feels on, just right on the edge of yeah. doable
1: Just on the edge of
0: doable <laughs> 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 Next week we'll be recapping A fan favorite episode Jet And yes we will be having a conversation With Jet himself,
1: Crawford Wilson Do not miss it we'll See everybody next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts Spotify, the iHeartRadio app Or wherever you get your podcasts